all three services. And uh, so be here for that um, in the main service. And then uh, if you guys could open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 32. And today, I wanted to put just the title. I really put titles on the screen here. But I wanted to today because the title is just very simple. And it's just forgiveness. And the reason why I wanted to put the title on the screen up there all by itself for you to look at beforehand is because I know if you're like me, when you just see the word forgiveness, you probably just think, meh, right? You might even think, hey, we're talking about forgiveness today. Um, well, that seems kind of a boring topic because everybody knows God just, Jesus forgives us for our sins, right? Everyone knows, we just know that's this what he does. And so um, when you see that title, you might think, like when I, when I thought about teaching this passage, I was like, man, this is just going to be a sermon on forgiveness. Like that's not really that crazy or exciting. Um, how can I really make this work for high school students? But then I started thinking, well, you know what? That's actually part of the problem, right? That's part of the problem. We, we take it for granted. We take forgiveness for granted. And so I'm, I'm kind of turning the tables here on you a bit to let you know that um, even though I thought initially that I'm not sure I want to talk about this because it seems so basic to the Christian faith, then I thought, but you know, the problem though is we see it as so basic. We see it as just what God does as if he somehow owes us forgiveness, as if he somehow just you know, and we, just, and we just take it for granted. We just expect it, especially if you um, grew up in church, then you know this concept of forgiveness. And so if I ran up to you this morning and grabbed you by the shirt and was like, Jesus forgives sin, can you believe that? Most would be like, you probably yawn, right? You just think, yeah, yeah, I know, I know he does. You know, what's the big deal? And so this morning I want to really instill in us today, um, you and I will never truly understand the power of forgiveness until you understand what you've been forgiven from, right? And so a couple years ago, a few years back, I had a student in this youth group that uh, got into some trouble with uh, the law. Like it was a really serious situation. I won't say the details now, but it was a really tough situation. Um... And so he, went, he had to go through a trial, like a literal trial, not like, you know, I got an F on my test kind of trial. It was like a real trial in a real courthouse with a real judge and a real jury. And I went to go watch this thing take place, and I was there for the day of the jury selection. And I'm watching this thing play out, and I'm like, man, if he gets found guilty in this thing, it's like he might go to prison for like 10 years. And it was a really serious situation. And, uh, and so it, it worked out to where... Um, I was there almost every day at the courthouse just with the family trying to show support. And then the day of the verdict was going to be read. And they said, hey, come down to the courthouse. He's about to read the verdict. And so I was on my way down there, and I was a little bit late getting there. And so I get there, and they had already read the verdict, and the verdict was not guilty. And so this kid, he comes out of the courthouse, and he sees me, and he just like erupts and runs to me and throws his arms around my neck, and he's got... He's got tears streaming down his face, and he's like, Dave, I'm free. I'm free. Like, I'm not going to jail. And I just started crying. His parents are crying. And it was a really, really powerful, intense moment. And I left that situation driving home just thinking about, man, if that moment taught me anything, 
It teaches me that when you have the prospect of jail time looming over you, freedom takes on a whole new meaning, right? A whole new significance. And it got me thinking about my walk with God and, and how I view forgiveness and how I view freedom in Christ. Because we don't really understand what forgiveness and freedom in Christ really is until you understand what you have looming over you without Christ. I mean, what we have looming over us without Christ is eternal separation from God. It is, it is eternally distant from God our Father. It is separation from Him because of our sin. It is spending eternity in a godless um, existence in hell apart from Him, without Christ and without forgiveness. It is being enslaved to whatever sins you struggle with right now. It is you being enslaved to those things and having no way out, no power to overcome those things. And this is what our life would look like if Jesus Christ did not forgive us of our sins. And so you and I will never understand um, what it really means to be free in Christ or what forgiveness really is until we know what looms over us if Christ had not done these things for us. And so you're going to have some discussion here in a second. I want you to get this one quote down, and it's this. Go to my next slide. Our view of forgiveness is directly linked to our view of sin. You and I will never understand forgiveness fully until you have a proper understanding of our sin and separation from God. Go into your first three questions at your tables. Go into questions one to three. All right, so as usual, I have no idea where you guys are at in your conversations, but either way, I'm going to have to interrupt. I try to gauge it based on the table right in front of me, but if it's a bunch of guys, then it usually isn't going to help. You're in question two? All right, well, I digress then. We'll get some more more questions here in a moment. All right, so look with me at Psalm chapter 32, verses... uh, Look at this verses 1 and 2, starting off. This is Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And this is written by David. And here's what it says. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So I wanted to show you, uh, there's three things that uh, God shows us in this, in this uh, writing of David. There's three different pictures of sin that I think he wants us to see. And here's what they are. There's transgression, which is like crossing a line to trespass. And when I thought of this concept of trespassing, um, it, it reminded me of a story about my brother. I have, a, I have two older brothers, so I got lots of beatdowns as a kid. And uh, one of them is like the football player build. Then there's the basketball player build. And then I'm just kind of like nothing, you know. And so I'm youth pastor build. That's what I am. Grow a goatee and wear my hat backwards. You know, there you go. Um, so so the, the, the football player, Bill, he's like, you know, he's still really big and, and really, really hairy. He's like a gorilla. And, uh, 
And he was kind of like, he's like five years older than me. So I forget how old he was when he did this. But I grew up in this sort of like kind of farmland area of Virginia, about an hour from Washington, D.C. And uh, there were lots of people that would move out to our area. And they'd, once they would get like their government pension, they would like say, I want to go retire somewhere out in the country. So they kind of moved out to where we're living out there in the countryside. And you get a lot of like retired like FBI, like retired CIA, retired Marines, like some kind of hardcore like crazy people, you know. And so this one guy begins to build this house, this little log cabin about a mile from our house. And we see this thing being constructed. And so one night, my brother, I have no idea why, he decides to go down a little long gravel road at night. And he decides to like sneak onto this guy's property. And uh, this guy, we thought, wasn't living there because the house is still being constructed. And so I guess he was, like, being real incognito and, like, crawling on his elbows and his knees, like, towards this house. And then uh, the story goes, all of a sudden, this light comes on, and this guy walks out and is like, stay on the ground, stay on the ground. And he's got, like, a gun. Like, he's got a gun pointed at my brother. I don't know what it was. Shotgun. I have no idea what, what this thing was. And so my brother is on the ground for like a half hour, and he makes my brother call on the phone while he's on the ground, my parents, and say, hey, come pick me up. I have trespassed on someone's property. (laughs) And so my parents have to go pick him up. And I remember that conversation, my dad bringing him home and being like, what were you thinking? And the guy was like an ex, he's like a retired Marine, okay, this guy that he trespassed on his property. And so, really, really horrible mistake. But when I thought of this idea of trespassing, I thought of that story because it's so significant. Because my brother trespassed on someone's property, and he could have been literally killed, right? He could have been killed by this this crazy, hardcore ex-Marine guy. And I think about that when it comes to our sin, because it's a perfect analogy for sin. Because when you and I, when we sin, we are trespassing on forbidden ground, right? And it could very easily lead to sometimes physical death, but always spiritual death. It always leads to spiritual death whenever we find ourselves in these situations. So a great picture of what sin really is. Also, you've heard of sin being like missing the mark. You think of archery, like, well, there's this this perfection, and every single person misses the mark. That's what sin is. Then also he uses the phrase or the word iniquity, and I had to look this one up. I don't use that word iniquity very often. Do you guys use that word in your, in your everyday language? Probably not. Um, it's kind of like wantonly treacherous, right? We don't use that word that much. That was from two weeks ago, by the way. Uh, but iniquity. And this is the idea that something is twisted. Another powerful image of sin, because what Satan does is he takes something that's good. So sexuality He takes something that God has given us that's good, and he twists it. He perverts it. And whenever you and I fall for iniquity or sin, what we are doing is we are taking something that God has given to us as a gift, something that is good, and Satan has twisted it, or our own flesh twists things and perverts things, and it still kind of looks like the real deal. It still kind of looks like, you know, something good. And yet it's twisted. It's been twisted. And it becomes iniquity to us. And we take these things, and these things lead to spiritual death for us. 
And so I love these images that David uses for sin because he understands what sin really is. And then there's three things that we see here that God does with our sin. I'll do this very quickly. Three things God does with our sin that you see in this passage. He forgives it, he covers it, and he does not count it against us. And you'll see there's some overlap here with these ideas. Um, I know you look at this, aren't those all the same thing? And they are kind of the same thing. But I want you to see, especially in a moment, what it means that God actually covers our sin. Now, if you look back at the first part of the verse, it says, blessed. Anybody know what that means, blessed? What does that mean in, in the Bible? It's real simple. It starts with an H. Hunger, hunger. I love when you sit up here on the front row, man. I love that. No, it's, well, yeah, hunger, yeah. I mean, I know there's a donut on your table and stuff, but it's not hunger. Um, it's, it's happy, okay, happy. It's a real simple idea, right? So happy. And, uh, and so blessed means happy. And again, I want to emphasize today, you guys don't, we don't understand how big of a blessing forgiveness is. And, and you and I are not going to see it until we see how serious our sin is. And, and so I want you to, if you get anything today, I want you to understand, if you're a Christian this morning, our greatest joy that we are ever going to experience is going to be found in the fact that we are forgiven. Do you understand that? It's going to be found in the fact that we are forgiven. Our greatest joy is not going to be found anywhere else except that one truth. And if you're someone who's not a believer this morning, all the things that you are searching for and seeking after and trying to find apart from Christ, I want to let you know this morning that that Jesus Christ, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you forgiveness in himself. And there's nothing that's more glorious, nothing that is more powerful, nothing that is better for your life than that truth by itself. The fact that Jesus offers you forgiveness in himself. That is more grand and more powerful and more amazing than anything that you could ever chase in your entire life. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. He offers that to you in himself. And so um, I want you to see this next part of the passage here. Look at verse, look at verse 3. Because David's showing us something really profound here. He's showing the destruction of guilt. Look down at verse 3. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And there's this phrase, Selah. And no one really knows what that means, the word Selah. It's throughout the whole, all of the Psalms. Um, I'm going to just pretend like it's kind of like a drop-the-mic phrase or something like that. Like just, you say something really profound, and you're like, Selah, right? And you just throw it in there. And so my encouragement, again, um, we encourage you guys to use the phrase wantonly treacherous two weeks ago and in some conversation with a friend possibly. And so my encouragement this week is to throw in the word Selah just in any conversation and see what happens. Um, maybe you're ordering at Chick-fil-A and, you know, I'll have a number one Diet Coke, Sela, right? And just see what they do. Be like, yeah, my pleasure that. Yeah, see how, that, see how you like that. Yeah, put that. Yeah, take that, whatever. Um, so see how that works out for you. Uh, but here's what I want you to see in this passage. Um, David says, when I kept silent, 
my bones wasted away. He is saying, he's saying that when I didn't confess my sin to God, when I didn't come to God and confess my sin to him, this is what happened. My, my bones wasted away. It actually affected me physically. Do you, do you see that in this passage? That David is saying that when I don't confess my sins to God, it affects me physically. It has a profound effect on his own body. His bones are wasting away. He is wasting away on the inside. And I think this is true even for unbelievers. It's not just believers he's talking about. It's unbelievers that you, you can sense this feeling of just guilt and shame whenever we've sinned against God, and you have nowhere to turn in the midst of that. And so David also says there's this heaviness about his days. He says, this, look at this phrase. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. So this heaviness that he's feeling is not just in himself. He senses this really crazy feeling of God's hand hovering over him. And so he knows that this, this, this sense of guilt is coming from God himself and coming from um, God's presence hovering over him because he's being convicted by this. And I want you to see this because this is really important. This kind of heaviness that you feel whenever you and I sin against God, this is not a bad thing. Because this is the very thing that will lead you to Jesus. As God's hand of conviction hovers over us and convicts us of our sin, this is what should propel us, should, should make us run to the merciful um, cross and should make us run to Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy. And so this is not a bad thing because what most of us try to do, especially in our world, is we try to just sort of shoo it away, right? Sweep it under the rug, act like no one else is going to know. And this is how we seem to handle things. We're going to cover in a moment just what are some things we actually do to hide our guilt from God and ourselves and other people. We'll cover that in a moment. But I want you to look down at verse 5 now. Look at verse 5. It says, we see here the power of confession. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And there it is, there it is again, the word sila, right? And so he's talking about confession now. So confession is basically this. It's really very simple. It's agreeing with God that something is sinful. And then it's going to God and admitting that to him. And there's just something so freeing, I think, whenever we do this to God and also within our relationships. Because most of us just want to sweep it away and act like it doesn't really exist. But you might ask the question, what's the point? I mean, God knows what we've done, right? God knows we've sinned, so why do we have to bring this to him and confess to him? I've actually heard some Christians say this before. There are some Christians out there that say they don't want to get caught up in rules and regulations. So they will say things like, you know what, as a Christian... You don't need to go to God and confess your sin because if you're a Christian, that sin's already been forgiven. They'll say these things. And I would say, okay, I agree with you that any sin I commit as a Christian is forgiven because I'm a Christian and Jesus forgives all sin at the cross if I'm a believer in him and put my faith and trust in him. That is a true statement. But that does not mean that as a Christian, I don't need to go and confess to him because I'm going to confess to him for me, not just for him. It's not like God's up there going, really, you, you did that? Well, well, thanks for telling me about it. I didn't know you did that. He's not going to, he knows everything. Of course he knows. 
But the reason why I go to him is because it's for me, so that it, it lines my heart with his, his heart. This is why we go and confess to him. And I want you to watch this. Look in verse, uh, look in verse 5. David says this really powerful statement. He says, I did not cover my iniquity. I did not cover my sin. Remember back in verse 1 where it says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. I want you to watch this. Verse 1 says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. In verse 5, David says, I did not cover my sin. And I want you to see this. Verse 1 God says God covers our sin. In verse 5, David says, I did not cover my sin. So let's go to this next slide. I want you to see this. When you and I uncover our sin, God covers it for us. When we hide our sin, God exposes our sin. And so your sin's going to be covered in some way, no matter what. Either you're going to cover it, making it to where God can't cover it, or you're going to uncover it and allow God to cover it for you in the cross and in his grace. And so you guys have a couple more questions. Let's do questions uh, four and five, and then we'll move on in a moment. We'll do questions four and five at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. All right, so I'm going to try to sprint to the end here because we have a lot still to cover. I'll try to go very, very quickly, and you guys have more discussion here at the, at the very end. Uh, so I want to cover a couple of ways in which we try to hide our guilt. So I mentioned ways we try to cover our sin. Here's some ways that we try to hide our guilt or cover our sin so we don't have to let someone else see it or let God see it. The first one we think of is blame shift. This means, very simply, you blame someone else, right? That I, I know that I may have done that, but I'm going to blame someone else for it. The second way we do this is to define it away. Well, you know, what I did wasn't really wrong. And that's not, is there a verse in the Bible that says I can't, says I can't do that? No. All right, well, not wrong then. We define things away all the time. Thirdly, deaden yourself to it. This is huge, especially for people that, that are young. We um, medicate it away. We... Let's go shopping. Let's go get drunk. Let's just go get into a relationship. Like, there's other ways. If, if you notice, much of what we do in our lives is trying to manage guilt, right? Even like little things. I mean, I sense it all the time myself, right? Something else that we do, we, so we try to deaden ourselves to it. Criticize others, the fourth one. Now watch this. This is how we do the whole criticism thing. Um, you ever wonder why we love gossip so much? Like, what is it? Like, it's so strange. Like, even when I, my wife and I are talking about um, someone, never you guys, of course, um, but someone, right? It's like there's something in us that just goes, oh, I can't wait to tell Courtney about this. This is going to be so, so, so good. It's like, why, why do we have that flesh, fleshly reaction to that? Because for that moment... The we are not, our guilt is not at the center of attention, right? Someone else's guilt is at the center of attention, not mine. And so we criticize other people. The next one, let's see if it's going to come up there. I don't know why these are getting cut in half. It's like, it's like magic. 
I'm not sure how that happened. <laughs> try to achieve is what that's supposed to say. Um, try to achieve. And so we look at ourselves, look at what I've achieved. We try to, um, we try to lessen our sin that way. And then lastly, give generously. And so do you know someone who um, did that one get cut off? Man, it's like, it's weird how they're just, it's strange. I'm not sure why it's happening. Um, so give generously. So in other words, uh, you know, you've done something wrong. You know you've done something wrong. But you're going to try to give and be a giving person because of maybe to the person you've wronged. And so instead of going to the person and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I was so wrong. I want to confess this to you. You start just kind of being like extra nice to them because you don't want to own your sin. You just want to hope that you'll kind of sweep it away with your niceness, right? And this is how we handle our guilt in our relationships and also with God. And so look down at verse 6. This is what Dave wants, David wants us to do. Um, I just called him Dave. Yes, I did. Uh, verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And there's that word again. You can say it. Yes, there you go. And what's the, what sticks out to me in this, path, this part of the verse is that con- confession feels so scary to us, doesn't it? Confession, it literally feels like you're walking to the edge of a cliff and someone is asking you to jump off like into your death. That's what it feels like emotionally and psychologically, right? But look at what David is saying you get when you confess. You can confess because he's going to be a hiding place for you. He preserves you from trouble. He surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. This is what God does for us when we confess to him and to other people. So when when you and I come out of hiding, he can become a hiding place for you. It says he's a hiding place for you. And so those who hide their sins will never be hidden in God's mercy. If you want to, be, if you want to hide your sins, you can do that, but you're never going to be able to have your sins hidden by God. He's never going to become a hiding place for you if you always hide your sins from him and from other people. Look down at verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you. This is now God talking. So God now picks up the pen. So David's been writing. This is now God speaking to David. God picks up the pen in verse 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule. Who wants to be like a horse and a mule? No one, right? Without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And I'll just close with this one story, and you guys can have more discussion here in a moment. But this is power of confession. So um, last Sunday, um, uh, I got to speak in the main service on the church at Pergamum. And, and we talked a lot about how serious sin is, because Pergamum was a church that um, compromised sexually. They claimed to be Christians, but they compromised with sexual immorality and idolatry. And so last week was a really hard message to preach. It's a big repentance message for our church. But there's this one guy who called me last week. and said, hey, can we go have lunch? And so go and we have lunch this past week. And he just begins talking to me. And he says, man, I've been coming to church for a long time. And he said, when you ask the question, are you living with someone you're not married to? 
Are you involved sexually with someone that you're not married to? He said, when you asked me that question, he goes, it was like an arrow just went right through my heart. And he said, and I just want to meet with you and talk about this because my girlfriend and I, we just moved in together, and I'm just feeling convicted by that, and we got to make this right. And I thought, how amazing is this? That, yeah, I'm thinking that as I preached this message last week, that I'm going to get, like, stones chucked at me from the crowd. And yet this man, when you preach God's word, God has a way of bringing people to himself through confession and repentance. And this man wants to confess. He wants to confess to a pastor. He wants to confess to God. He wants to repent and turn away from sin and turn toward Jesus Christ. And this brings freedom. This brings freedom to us. Not enslavement, but freedom. We confess to him and other people. Go ahead and finish up with your last few discussion questions at your tables.